Levon's solo albums are pure egalitarian magic and joy, wrote Maddie Wishnow when discussing Helm's musical output and general vibe and sentiment. Levon had spent the latter part of the 1970s working, putting his nose to the grindstone, pumping out two albums and touring. While it may have been well-intended, one might say all that work wasn't reaping the rewards that one would come to expect. Nearing the end of a decade, having experienced more in 10 years than more people have experienced in a lifetime, the almost 40-year-old Helm was looking to explore. While Robbie Robertson was making a very direct attempt at Hollywood, a movie star turn with The Last Waltz and his dismally reviewed Carney, he famously didn't love getting his photo taken and made his opinions about being featured in The Last Waltz quite evident. After his 1978 album, Leave on Helm, was released and didn't hit the charts, and without a tour to support it, he later stated in his biography, I was wondering what the hell I was going to do. That's when I got a call that Michael Apted wanted me to read for Coal Miner's Daughter. Helm thought it probably came to him through his friend Brad Dourif, who brought actor Tommy Lee Jones to a band concert while working on the film called The Eyes of Laura Mars together. Coalminer's Daughter was set to be a biopic that told the story of country music icon Loretta Lynn. Tommy Lee Jones was cast to play the love interest opposite Sissy Spacek, who was set to play the titular Loretta Lynn role. Jones had mentioned to director Michael Apted that Helm would be the perfect person to play Loretta's father, Ted Webb, an integral figure in Lynn's life. Helm later stated, quote, Apparently they couldn't find anyone in Hollywood that was country enough for the role. So I was proposed, and I think Conway Twitty might have put word to Loretta for me. Helm, who had no experience acting, landed the role but was concerned that his experience wouldn't suit the movie. So he spent time researching. He went to Kentucky and met Loretta and her family. He studied photographs. He met Ted's extended family and worked in a coal mine for a few days. Helm's youth working in the cotton fields also made this connection to the coal mining lineage of the story relevant. And he later said that Loretta's family and friends were a lot like his. Throughout that process, he became more comfortable and he really wanted to be as authentic as possible in the movie. The film was shot on location in Kentucky, and Helm spent six weeks acting and having a serious hand at working with Apted and the crew to improve the authenticity of the film. At the conclusion of his acting role, he was asked to record a number for the album's soundtrack. Specifically, he was asked to record a version of Bill Monroe's Blue Moon of Kentucky. Again, Helm posed the question if he was really cut out for it. Unsure he could top the versions from Elvis Presley or the Bluegrass Boys, he ventured to Nashville, Tennessee, to Bradley's Barn Studio. The studio was owned by Owen Bradley, the noted musician, bandleader, and producer who worked alongside the likes of Chet Atkins and Don Law, and was one of the architects of the Nashville sound that dominated country music in the 50s and 60s. Fred Carter Jr. was brought in to play on the session, 
The old friend of Helm, who was a noted session player himself, played with the Hawks and was a member of the RCO All-Stars, was joined by the Kate brothers to round out Helm's vocal. Owen Bradley produced. Helm provided his earthy gravitas to Blue Moon of Kentucky, and the authenticity seeping from his delivery was very real. The track was also graced with beautiful slide guitar and harmonica. A blue moon of Kentucky, you keep on a shining. Helm did well to differentiate his version from the ample version that graced the airwaves after the original was released by Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys in the 40s. It was then famously covered by Elvis Presley and Patsy Cline, among others. With the session complete on Blue Moon, Helm felt he had a good thing going, and he continued on in the barn to track what would later become his next album, American Sun. Fred Carter moved over to being the producer of the sessions and also took a chunk of the arranging. One of the core additions to Helm's session was Buddy Emmons, a pioneering pedal steel player who had played with Linda Ronstadt, Graham Parsons, and the Everly Brothers. Hargis Pig Robbins joined the session on piano. Robbins was the foremost pianist, playing with Patsy Cline, George Jones, Merle Haggard, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, and J.J. Cale, amongst many others. Bob Ogden played electric keys and organ. He was a member of Elvis's TCB band and performed on many of his recordings. He also did many sessions with Ray Charles and Willie Nelson. Mitch Humphreys also joined on keys, playing with Bonnie Bramlett, Dolly Parton, and George Strait in his career. The bottom end was handled by bassist Henry Shrelecki, who made a name for himself in Nashville doing work for Chet Atkins, Waylon Jennings, and Bob Dylan. Paired with him was Steve Schaefer, who played on records by Jerry Reed, the Everly Brothers, and Harry Nielsen. Helm also employed a trio of guitar players. Jerry Shook, who added his licks to John Prine, Neil Young, and Tom T. Hall's work, was joined by Billy Stanford, who played on the Louisiana Hayride in the 50s and toured with Roy Orbison. And Steve Gibson rounded out the trio. He was the first musical director of the Grand Ole Opry. This mixture of talent provided a powerhouse backing for Helm to take an attempt at a more country-oriented sound perhaps a new opportunity to reposition himself in the music industry and propel his career forward.
Watermelon Time in Georgia, the album's opener, was written by Harlan Howard, who crafted timeless hits like I Fall to Pieces and Heartache by the Numbers, and first recorded by country music legend Lefty Frizzell. But Helm is able to embody the song better than just about anyone else. His ability to select and interpret was one of his many underrated skills. The track seemed destined to be sung by him. A southern boy who spent his formative years growing up on the road, touring from town to town, playing beer joints, honky-tonks, and bars up and down Canada and the United States. The lyrics from Harlan Howard speak to this in such uncanny ways. Lines like, it makes a country boy getting down in the mouth when his body's up north and his heart is down south, are so applicable to Helm's situation that you lap it up. Watermelon Time in Georgia bursts out musically as the first song on the album as well. And that's important to remember. Having spent the last few albums with Booker T and Donald Duck Dunn, who favored a heavier brass, here with Carter in the producing chair, you get a more country funk. Less arrangements, but it still packs a potent punch. With a blues harmonica from Helm, Hammond organ from Bobby Ogden, and slide electric guitar, potent backbeat, the rollicking tune sets the perfect mood. Next is Dance Me Down Easy, an easy breezy rock and roll number. In his description of the song, writer Maddie Wishnow called Helm's take on Dance Me Down Easy a quote, full on hootenanny rock, like a jug band plugged in. song written by two country rock heavy hitters, Larry Henley and Billy Burnett, was a perfect choice for Helm. Burnett, known for his work with Ricky Nelson and later as a member of Fleetwood Mac, Dance Me Down Easy provides Levon Helm the freedom to explore a beautiful gospel inflection, all while maintaining a discernible smile in his voice. You know how to please me when you turn your lamp down low.
Nick Derizio states eloquently in his review, for all of its randy impishness, Dance Me Down Easy is as spacious and as well executed as anything Helm did similarly on Rag Mama Rag or up on Cripple Creek. Moreover, it encapsulates the southern charm and infectious merriment reminiscent of the early band albums. The song exudes a cheerful and sing-along quality to it, carrying a playful hint of youthful mischief in the portrayal of the protagonist's attraction to a woman. Despite the seemingly straightforward and lighthearted lyrics, the musical arrangement is quite intricate and layered. With the dynamic piano and guitar riffs from the trio of Billy Stanford, Jerry Shuck, and Steve Gibson, a pulsating bass line, an organ contributing a massive, captivating melody, an impeccably arranged background vocal with Mitch Humphreys and Fred Carter Jr. lending their vocal talents, the song evolves into a masterfully crafted composition that really unfolds brilliantly with each subsequent listen, surpassing all initial impressions. In the subsequent track, Violet Eyes, Helm delves into the realm of country music a little bit further. Despite blues exerting a more prominent influence on him, country music played a pivotal role in Helm's musical evolution. Violet Eyes offers a glimpse into Helm's exceptional talent as a country performer. Written by Tom Kimmel, renowned for crafting tracks for artists like Roger McGuinn, Chris Hillman, Joe Cocker, and Willing Jennings, and Johnny Cash, the song, though seemingly straightforward lyrically, becomes a showcase for Helm's vocal prowess, captivating audiences with every word. As expressed by Wish Now in his review of Violet Eyes, it stands as a plaintive ballad that surpasses typical country and rock ballads in both nerve and sentiment. Helm's rendition defies Nashville's conventional standards for a country ballad during that era. The composition introduces a captivating blend of musical elements featuring Clifford Robertson's intriguing use of the organ and Pig Robin's melodic piano, creating a church-like progression that envelops the listener. Helm's drumming takes on a more modern tone, 
departing from his usual dampened wooden signature sound, while Buddy Emmons' pedal steel infuses the song with an authentic country Nashville flavor. And a notable aspect is the inclusion of the prominent vocal group that harmonizes with Helm. Humphreys, Fred Carter Jr. contribute harmonies, and there's a subtle suggestion that Helm might have added additional harmonies through dubbing. The song reaches a dramatic shift in the bridge section, with the bass guitar from Steve Schaefer taking a prominent role, adding depth and diversity to the musical arrangement. Overall, Violet Eyes stands as a bold departure from the norm, marked by Helm's versatile vocal delivery and a fusion of instrumental elements that defy traditional boundaries in the Nashville scene. As the drum rolls initiate, accompanied by slightly distant acoustic guitar chords, for a moment one might be inclined to believe they stumbled upon a Gordon Lightfoot composition, only to be abruptly awakened as the electric guitar pierces through the air, heralding the arrival of Helm's Stay With Me. Crafted by Fred Carter Jr., the song unfolds as an easygoing, breezy affair reminiscent of a Jimmy Buffett number. While the jazz-infused piano of B.G. Adair, renowned for her collaborations with Eddie Arnold and Ronnie Millsap, adds a touch of sophistication to the sonic palette. Despite the musical intricacies, the track lyrically lacks a prominent theme to anchor itself. It delves into familiar narratives of a woman staying with a lonely protagonist who has ventured into town, seeking companionship in more ways than one. And while the song does introduce some mildly interesting musical elements, it struggles to assert itself in comparison to standout tracks on the album, ultimately relegating itself to the status of album filler rather than a standout piece in its own right.
It starts off with the potent, I see the red, white, and blue, so mixed up and so confused. Nobody knows which way to go. I see us turning down a dead-end road. America's Farm employs a bold, agritarian call to action, serving as an unabashed metaphor that confronts the nation's shortcomings head-on. America, a country built on the back of its laborers and its farmers. The late 1970s and early 80s saw farmers struggling and losing their land. While benefits started like Willie Nelson's famed Farm Aid, the Ronnie Rogers pen number recalls the farmer's plight. You could say that the song inevitably invokes thoughts of King Harvest as surely come, lyrically, which Griel Marcus aptly dubbed the band's song of blasted country hope. However, America's Farm takes a departure from the desperation inherent in King Harvest. As Jonathan Bernstein notes in his review on American Sun, America's Farm opts for a trade-off of union dues for a flag-waving individualism. It exudes a determined confidence, urging everyone to, quote, set our alarms, go up, and work America's farm. If these words came from another source, they might be easily dismissed as jingoistic. But America's farm stands as a singular exception on American Sun. Sonically, it exudes a rollicking and energetic ambience, characterized by a sharp lead guitar that leans more towards the 80s sensibilities than the twang associated with the 60s and 70s country sounds. The composition skillfully incorporates the distinctive poing, if that's a word, of a clavinet, complemented by a barroom piano rhythm, all underpinned by a drum beat that is both straightforward and impactful in its simplicity. Within the album's landscape, this song emerges as the sole lyrical venture seeking a grander narrative. This particular composition evokes a profound sense of urgency in a country that was changing. And when people don't like change, or rather they fear what change will do to them, their families and their livelihood, it combines here for a potent punch. The song stands as that poignant outlier on American Sun. 
encapsulating a thematic depth that resonates with the complexities of a nation's identity and the challenges it faces, all while maintaining a distinct and evocative musical expression, really setting it apart from others. Hurricane followed, penned by a trio of songwriters, including Keith Stiegel, known for his work with Alan Jackson and George Jones, Thomas Schuler, associated with Kenny Roger and Eddie Rabbit, and Stuart Harris, a writer whose credits include four songs that reached number one for artists like Mickey Gilley and Wailing Jennings. A vibrant narrative of New Orleans funk, Hurricane served as the ideal platform for Levon Helm, whose voice exuded both pride and authenticity, and a weathered quality uniquely suited for the song. Despite its overlooked status in the underappreciated American Sun album, Hurricane unfolds a tale of confronting an immersive storm, anchored by unwavering faith in one's town and a resolute sense of belonging that that proclaims. We're here to stay no matter what. Set within a robust groove, a pulsating bass line, a biting country guitar lick, paired with Helm's determined spirit, reminiscent of Up on Cripple Creek, weaves throughout the song complete with a greasy keyboard embellishment, characteristic of somebody like Garth Hudson or Richard Manuel. Once more, the musical arrangement stands out for its pristine quality, boasting a powerhouse lineup of musicians, and each instrument contributes seamlessly with layers that are meticulously perfected. They weave in and out of the composition at precisely the right moments, and you can't help to walk away from listening to Hurricane without tapping your toe and humming the lyrics. Next is China Girl, a composition as unsettling in its lyrical and musical nuances as its title implies. Levon Helm delivers the proposition with a mix of uncertainty and irresistible drawl, 
a gentle and loving tone that grapples with the song's inherent challenges in both production and concept. In a single line in the modern context, you feel unsettled. Your daddy tells you white lies to keep you from my blue eyes. To know me is no sin. Now, this encapsulates a narrative steeped in issues of racism, segregation in America, and the relationship between domination and subordination. Jonathan Bernstein, in his assessment of the song, relays rather eloquently that Levon's delivery exudes weariness and defeat, yet it also carries a poignant innocence, as if he is somewhat naive about his actions, but cognizant of the ensuring consequences. Enter Shootout in Chinatown, or later Move to Japan, a pair of compositions that commence with gongs, chimes, and Asian-inspired Asian melodies released by the band with Levon as lead vocalist in 1971 and 1993, respectively. Levon's spotlight on recurring themes of oriental fetishization within his body of work. Within his body of work. Though it should be noted, Robertson did compose Shootout in Chinatown. Interestingly, China Girl would later be covered and popularized by John Cougar Mellencamp on his album American Fool, where Mellencamp embraces the song's sleaziness through a power pop arrangement in 1982. Yet, in the interpretation by Levon, he sounds more like a fool, a soul entangled with a girl he struggles to comprehend. Whether it's the weariness, the innocence, or the hesitancy in his voice, Levon conveys a sense of being lost, entwined in something that may lead to regret. He appears as if he needs to convince not only the girl, but himself, perhaps harboring thoughts of a girl left behind in Georgia. His vocal, accompanied by persistent backup harmonies and subtle and smooth pedal steel by Buddy Emmons, almost distracts by whatever stereotypical Asian motif the song tries to labor the audience with. As Bernstein concludes in his assessment, ultimately, it seems that China Girl is a portrayal of a man who sounds like he yearns to return home, grappling with the challenges of being a true American son. Within the tapestry of American Son, Levon Helm navigates a spectrum of emotions, oscillating between lustful desires and a profound sense of sorrow and remorse. 
In the gritty 12-bar blues of Nashville women, Levon exudes a raw carnal energy, singing of a long-legged woman whose allure needs no verbal expression. Yet, in the subsequent soulful ballad, Blue House of Broken Hearts, the tone shifts dramatically. Levon now, reflective and apologetic, confronts the consequences of his actions as the morning light reveals the aftermath of passion. He's gripped by shame, recognizing the impact of his words and his deeds. The pair of songs work so effortlessly together on the latter half of the album. Nashville Women, another Harland Howard track, was released to acclaim in 1980 by Waylon Jennings, the country music legend. The lyrics of the song don't leave a lot to analyze as it's pretty straightforward number as it's a pretty straightforward number of lusting after a woman, drinking and dancing with a few name drops, including Nashville's Printer's Alley, a place for several years which was home of entertainment and honky-tonks that served liquor, even when it was not legal in Nashville, inviting a level of seediness and debauchery. Nashville Women is a testament to the atmospheric and musical essence it embodies. Levon sets the tone with the soulful wail of a bluesy harmonica right from the opening bar. The track features a distinctive fuzzy piano lick, playful and engaging with the audience, while a boozy guitar subtly lurks in the shadows, adding a layer of intrigue. The movement of an acoustic slide guitar further enriches the sonic landscape, creating a harmonious blend of elements that contribute to an overall vibe of the song. Juxtaposing that boozy number is the ballad Blue House of Broken Hearts, as mentioned, penned by Bill Martin and Todd Kearney. In Levon Helm's rendition of Blue House, he masterfully navigates the emotional landscape of a timeless ballad. He immerses the listener in an evocative essence of the song, and the track stands in contrast to Helm's more spirited boozy numbers. It unfurls a throwback to soulful ballads of yesteryears transporting audiences to a smoky, dimly lit atmosphere with heartful narratives unfolding. At the heart of the song is the contributions of Bobby Ogden. It's big organ progression, musical elements that breathe life into a wistful atmosphere of the song. 
the organ's resonance provides a soulful backdrop, enriching the overall sonic experience, and infusing the ballad with a touch of vintage charm. As Maddie Wishnow states in his review, Blue House of the Broken Hearts is a waltz time crying your beer number. Is a waltz time crying your beer number where everyone has been there and done that and regretted it all and gotten over it together. That sense of storytelling in a shared experience, as if everyone has traversed the blue house of broken hearts, carrying the weight of regrets and the scars of lost love, only emerge stronger and wiser after each listen. In closing the album is Sweet Peach Georgia Wine, a standout piece that once again prompts a closer examination due to its problematic undertones. The song unfolds a narrative involving a man entangled in a legal quagmire, staring at a potential sentence of 10 to 21 years for an offense of falling for a 16-year-old daughter of a sheriff. However, the song doesn't quite escape criticism for its reliance on stereotypes and the propagation of troubling messages veering into cliched territory. As Maddie Wishnow reflects in his review, Sweet Peach Georgia Wine takes on the aura of a timeless southern fable, elevating Levon beyond the confines of an actor or a character to an archetype within a story. Despite Helm's nuanced performance and delicate balancing act, the rendition remains great yet fraught with issues. The overarching dilemma casts a shadow over the song. Its rhythm and catchy lead guitar riff 
draws listeners in, creating a vibrant atmosphere where the drums guide the audience through organ stabs and electric piano rhythms reminiscent of compositions like Jemima Surrender or Strawberry Wine. Yet amidst the musical allure, the song's problematic narrative lingers, and that adds a layer of complexity to an otherwise engaging musical experience. As the album reached its completion, Levon Helm had ridden a creative surge that commenced with Coal Miner's Daughter. Despite a somewhat faltering solo career, Helm's venture into new territory exploring country sensibilities positioned him for a revitalization in the market. The album underwent mixing and mastering, complemented by a striking artwork. The cover art, skillfully crafted by Zhou Cheng, featured an illustrated depiction of Levon Helm adorned with various pieces of American iconography. Additionally, the imagery encompassed locations such as the band's clubhouse, Big Pink, and Helm's personal studio in Woodstock, New York. Chung, recognized for his artwork for the Supremes, brought an artistic touch to the album, creating visuals that not only showcased Helm, but also conveyed the essence of a musical journey that was captured within the record. ABC Records, who had originally signed Helm, was absorbed by then into MCA Records. Along with Helm making the transition over, Tom Petty headlined the marquee move, which later led to a problematic legal battle. With movement in the background with the label and finishing his own album, Helm turned his attention back to Coal Miner's Daughter. He was sent along with the rest of the actors to promote the movie. Helm joined forces with the film star Sissy Spacek for a special rendition of the Midnight Special TV show on April 18, 1980 to promote Coal Miner's Daughter. Serving as co-host, they perform several songs, including Coal Miner's Daughter and Don't Call Me Cowgirl. As well as Helm having the opportunity to do some numbers from his new album, including America's Farm and Watermelon Time in Georgia. The film was released on March 7, 1980 and went number one at the box office, grossing $3.6 in 796 theaters. 
The film grossed a total of $67.1 million in the United States and Canada, becoming the seventh highest grossing film in 1980. Roger Ebert from the Chicago Times stated that the film, quote, has been made with great taste and style. It's more intelligent and observant than movie biographies of singing stars used to be. And Janet Mazin, for her review in the New York Times, praised Helm's acting, saying, Levon Helm, playing Loretta's father, embodies all the quiet decency that gives this film its foothold. Mr. Helm was formerly a member of the band. He's at least as good as an actor as he was a singer and drummer, which is saying quite a lot. The film went on to be nominated for seven Academy Awards. Spacek netted an Oscar statue for her leading actress role. And yet again, Levon Helm found himself teetering on the edge once more, standing at the precipice of destiny. The looming release of American Sun in October of 1980 bore the weight of uncertainty. With the formidable backing of a larger label like MCA, would Helm soar to a greater height, propelled by the combined might of an industry giant, or would he be swallowed whole by the vastness of the label, fade into the background, be relegated to obscurity? And this extended beyond music. Helm's acting career, initially born of happenstance, hung in the balance. Could his move into the movies yield larger returns than his musical endeavors? The unanswered questions cast a cloak of anticipation and doubt over Helm's artistic future. Only the relentless march of time held the key to unraveling Helm's fate leaving us all to wait with bated breath for the unfolding drama in his career. Thank you for listening to The Band of History. I'm so happy to be done this episode. Um, I really liked it. I love this album. I love this period in Levon's life, but it was uh, definitely hard to get through. I don't know why. It took a couple different stabs, a couple different formats, couple different way at reflecting at the songs and and what they mean and and all of that and digging in and finding some resources for it and and, you know all that boring research stuff that you guys probably don't want to hear about but I'm just glad it's done because uh, I love this album and I think a lot of people don't know about it and I think people should listen to it even for the problematic numbers Um, like anything um, there's always good and bad so American Sun great album and coal miner's daughter one of the best biopics ever you know levon helm is truly good in it like he is a good actor uh, a lot of people know that already but if, if you haven't seen coal miner's daughter it's definitely a treat you don't have to be a country music fan it's just a good movie so definitely check it out anyways uh if you really like the show and you want more of it there's 50 plus other episodes of it you can follow us along online, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, any social media platform at The Band Podcast. Find us there. If you want to contribute to the show monetarily, if you really like what we're doing over here, you can do so at patreon.com slash The Band of History. There's different tiers. You can sign up, early access to the episode, bonus episodes, bi-monthly book club, writings, musings, be part of a cool community very tight-knit over there on patreon come join us over there it's a fun time special thanks always to mike for editing the podcast a lot of you probably know mike now because he's been on the show a few different times as well mike's a great guy i love mike probably a hard episode to edit mike so thanks again for doing that really appreciate it always appreciate your support and i appreciate everybody for listening to the show 
I think we're in year four or five. I can't keep track anymore, but it's been a long time. And uh, sometimes it's a long time between episodes. And uh, I am always surprised and smile when I release a new episode and the numbers of people that listen to it never seems to go down. It only seems to go up, which uh, everybody in my life says, uh, your podcast probably going to die if you don't release episodes all the time. But uh, you guys continue to dumbfound everybody, including me. So thank you again for the support. It means a lot. That was my episode on American Sun. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll catch you on the next one. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.